is Most people would consider this illegal. 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 Since we are the best and you agree with me, right? No need to debate. Hey world, we're back and it's your girl Drea, Long E, of course, with the sports fights and bringing y'all some purple rain vibes. I have a new hair color, but... I digress. <laughs> We're here with a full house on this beautiful afternoon, of course, with the facts and our fellas. Sai, say what up. What's up? What's up? What's up? Well wishes and blessings, everyone. And Tony, what's happening? Hey. <laughs> what's up, Tony here in the city? All fog, no smog. And of course, we got Mike from the Great Debaters Squad. Uh, this is becoming a regular thing for the four of us. So Mike, say hello. Sports game for free, right at the better here. You better get you some. <laughs> and we are joined by a very special guest from 95.7 The Game, Joe Shasky. But for the Bay Area Day Ones, you know him as Butcher Boy. And he will be starting on Monday, will be part of the 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. morning crew with Kate Scott and Bonte Hill. So congrats, Butcher, on the moves you're saying. And can you say hello to our listeners and friends out there? Yeah, what's up? Thanks for having me on. Hello, Bay Area. Let's rock and roll. I love it. This is how I came up. I came up doing podcasts, but it wasn't yeah. in vogue back then. <laughs> well, I, I must say, so you were in the nighttime slot. And so I'm going to throw some t- statistics out there because – most of the people that are employed, so we're talking about the people making money, yeah. they're listening to the radio at 7 a.m. That's the peak time. Yeah. And so from, from all of us, we're inspired because you got to <laughs> keep doing what you got to do. And we just talked about you on the grind. And yeah. so stay on the grind no matter what you do, whether it's your day job, on a podcast, or just calling into the radio. You always give it your all and you never know what's going to happen because, brother, you are on peak time now. At 7 a.m. <laughs> it's it, I'm very blessed, and I mean that. Like a lot of people say that. I'm from the city. I'm born and raised yeah. in the city. I'm from the Bay Area. I love the Niners. I love the Giants. I love the Warriors. I'm not a diehard Raider fan. My great-grandma literally went to church with John Madden's mom, okay? So she loved the Raiders, right? So I've got a connection to all the different teams out here. I work with Chris Townsend at night and became yeah. an A's fan because I saw how much he cares about the team. And so I feel like I what I'm trying trying to do is be a representation of my community, which I care so much about. And, you know, I'm not going to please everybody, but like you said, you just keep grinding. You try to stay humble, have fun, not take yourself so serious and just go one day at a time. Amen. Yeah. And I know the listeners cup will overflow with sports knowledge today with our guest, a true pioneer to the podcast world transitioning into radio an icon calling into the radio <laughs> and now a superstar on it. I just want to congrats, man, and congratulate you on your promotion to the morning roast of five-generation Frisco native. And I call oh. it the SCO. You know, hey. I'm not going to say San Fran. I call it the SCO. Oh, yeah. I'm from Oakland, from the town. We've always known it as the SCO. But, you know, I, I, I definitely love Frisco, too, man. And just congratulations to you, man. You, you, you pretty much are a mentor to me, being a person that called in a lot as Raider debater. And, you know, getting a lot of flack and then now being on this podcast. So just a true icon to me, man. I'm fanboying out today, man. No, no, I appreciate that. Congratulations, man. So Look, 
I mean this from the bottom of my heart, like, and this is the real, like I grew up listening to all these people on the radio and I'd be screaming and yelling at the radio and I would wait on hold and I would just try to like, oh, let me get my two minutes. If I even get that long to talk to Radnich, let me, let me squeeze something in. And I had to like work on the whole pitch so that people would allow me more time on the air. Right. And eventually if it wasn't because of social media, I wouldn't have the opportunities that I have. I got hit up by Sal Castaneda. He knows some mutual people that I know. He hit me up on Twitter. This is going back like five, six, seven years ago. And he was like, Hey, come do a podcast at my house. And I was like, podcast. Like, I didn't even know what a podcast was, to be honest with you. I didn't really even know how to download one on my phone. That just goes to show you how much things have changed when it comes to media. And like for the longest time, I felt like the people talking on the radio didn't represent me, my friends, my boys, my family, the religion of Bay area sports. And, and, and it just, it would drive me insane. And I also heard a lot of people that they would come to this market and say, things so that they could propel themselves to the next market, go to New York or LA or somewhere bigger. And it just, it drove me completely insane. So I appreciate you saying that because, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, all the people listening love sports. And I feel like a lot of the people that are talking don't respect the fans because like the fans all grew up playing ball, either watching ball their whole lives. Like it's a part of their life. And so I hate when people talk down to the, to the audience, like straight up. And so I've always said, we try to be inclusive, not exclusive. And, and it's one of the things. So when I hear you say like the things that you're saying, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. It really like makes me feel like I'm doing the right things. Cause all I am is just trying to do a good entertaining, fun show and speak to the people exactly and you know for and for me man i appreciate you you know getting back at us and 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 reaching out that invitation and you taking it me personally i seen your grind man i i was the laker raider when you used to call d bruce yeah it was the, it, it was it was the rabbi the cabbie yeah yep. yep. it, it was the laker raider uh-huh. and it was butcher boy you know so i for me i seen the grind man and i respect it you know what I mean? I saw what you put into it, and that's what kind of made me have to step my game up. So coming from me, man, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for getting back at me, and let's get right into it, man. And congratulations on what you got going. Keep thriving. Keep doing the butcher you. Keep doing what you do. You it's represent a You represent a culture and an era that I feel is becoming forgotten. Mm-hmm. And and you're doing a great representation of keeping that culture and and air going and keep doing it, sir. Well, you know, I, I want to say something as you guys are all talking, you guys are all so authentic. And one of the things I told myself was I'm not going to be someone I'm not. I didn't go to college. I didn't even graduate high school. I got kicked out of a zillion different high schools because I was a punk, you know, and I thought I knew everything. And so what I always tell people is be yourself. That's what's going to separate you from everyone else. I can't be Joe Buck. I can't be uh, uh, Colin Cowherd. I can't be Greg Cosell or any of these other people. All I can be is me. Now, I could be an enhanced version of me, you know, turned all the way up to 11 that's yeah. a, but like this is who I am and like people that that know me in my personal life they know I'm I'm having these conversations with my buddies and my my family my grandfather already these are just more filtered. I'm not swearing. I'm not cussing. I try to be a little more polished, but like, that's, that's what I want to like have come over the airwaves because in my opinion, there's not enough diversity. It's very cookie cutter. It's the same thoughts, the same people talking in the same fashion. And like, I didn't go to Syracuse to go to broadcasting school. Like a lot of these people I hear. And to be quite honest with you, I think that the audience is searching for something different. I'm not a barstool guy. I don't get it. I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to me, but clearly they're speaking 
speaking to an entire segment of people and they have an audience on the East Coast that they're hitting to. I keep saying to myself, how come the West Coast doesn't have something like that that fits our culture? More diverse, sounding more rugged, more raw, more real, less cookie cutter. It drives me completely insane. And so I know I'm not a perfect polished broadcaster. I don't pretend to be a journalist. I try to be real and I try to be entertaining. And if you do those two things, I think that you will go a long way. I, I really believe in those, those core values. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we're going to write that down and make sure uh, <laughs> do all of that. <laughs> um, so before we get into it, I'm going to set the scene for us. So even in the craziness that is the pandemic, we're less than 30 days away from a very critical November election. Sports continues to give us an outlet. And we get even more extra basketball with Miami Heat and Jimmy Buckets pushing it to game six. But today we're gonna keep our energy on the NFL, especially since who knows if the season will even make it to the end. Uh, we can thank the Tennessee Titans for their protocol foolery uh, for that. Um, but we're gonna zoom in to all things Bay and Bay adjacent and talk about the Las Vegas Raiders and the San Francisco 49ers. A lot is really at stake uh, for both teams. For the Raiders, were all of those trades really worth it? And for the Niners, is Jimmy G ever going to not be injured? So let's first start with our Las Vegas Raider Nation. So our first question. Raiders are now 2-2. Two and two. They're coming off a tough loss to the Buffalo Bills last week, and they'll be facing the reigning champs, the Kansas City Chiefs, next. So, Butcher Boy, talk to us about your predictions for the Raiders this season and potentially even in the postseason. Are they contenders or pretenders in the AFC? It's just so hard given that the Chiefs are in the same division as them. It's, it's in the same way that Jimmy Garoppolo is unfairly kind of – put up against Russell Wilson like that's what's going to happen for Derek Carr for the rest of his career because Patrick Mahomes is in the division the guy is ridiculous I mean he's 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 unlike any player I've ever seen he's John Elway meets Brett Favre meets Tom Brady like he's got the brains he's got the pocket mobility he's got a cannon he's fearless oh and he has great ownership a great front office and an unbelievable play caller in Andy Reid you couldn't ask for a better situation I'm a huge Deshaun Watson fan this guy has been stuck with Bill O'Brien as great as Deshaun is like he's not getting the coaching that he needs he's not being surrounded by talent and they don't have good ownership and so you see like he, he leaves a lot to be desired even though you can see that the raw talent is there so when I look at Derek Carr you know I just I feel like a lot of the same things I said about Alex Smith are coming true for Derek Carr when he has everything going for him, good offensive line protection, he's got the great running game with Josh Jacobs, the guy's an absolute stud, he can make plays downfield. But every now and then, he reverts back to being scared of making a mistake. And I think it's all those years of the coaching carousel that he's had and, and also him overthinking. Sometimes you just got to go out there and play. You got to go out there and make plays and fire away. And, and that's what I would like him to do because when he is playing free and not thinking and not checking down, the dude is balling. 
obviously their defense isn't as good. We, we know that. But I love Max Crosby, and I felt like getting Corey Littleton was a solid move. I saw him in the NFC West with the Rams. The guy can play. I actually like their secondary compared to the last couple of years where it was like Swiss cheese. But Max Crosby is a really, really, really good pass rusher. All it starts is with one guy, and that's how it worked for the 49ers. They get Bosa. Everybody else looks better on that offense, on that defensive line. So I like the Raiders and where they're at. It's just you're in one of the hardest divisions in football because Mahomes is ridiculous. I mean, he's a cheat code. And, you know, you hit it. That's where it's the, that's where they're going to go when you have certain quarterbacks in this in your same division as you. You will be compared, and the expectation is where Mahomes is, right? But we seen we seen Derek Carr, the best Derek Carr, when they were twelve and three before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. That best Derek Carr. The question for me is 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 he still there? Because I see flashes of him, but I don't see it consistently like I did in that season. His the, his poise in the pocket that season, he was untouched. He wasn't scared. He sat in the pocket, delivered the ball, took chances, and he did what he was supposed to do. Since his injuries, I think he is becoming more aware of his surroundings, meaning he's not no pocket presence. Mm-hmm. There is none at all. He's always fidgeting in the pocket. He's fidgeting more in the pocket than a dope fiend fidgeting more in his own pocket. You know what I mean? <laughs> I do. He, he's always looking around like <laughs> just let, let the play develop strike when it's hot. That's what he used to do. He used to be comfortable being uncomfortable. That yeah. was Derek Carr to be when he was young and we started him early that's one thing I took from it is, man, as young as he is, he's comfortable being uncomfortable. We did not have a great offensive line back then. That first year when he was 13, when we were 13 and 16, we beat the, the hardball, really mm-hmm. hard hardball niner team. Mm-hmm. He was nails. I just seem like his confidence wavers during the game. Like, like to, to me, when I watched that game against the Bills last week, I can't put that on him. He was dealing. He was dealing from beginning to end. I just didn't like that the coach was being so safe. There's, and, and that's the thing when you went to Andy Reid. Andy Reid is known for his route combinations and the way he thinks the game. He came, they came from Mike Holmgren's tree. Who was in that tree? Mariucci. Who mm-hmm. was in that tree? John Gruden and, and Andy Reid. And out of those three, a lot the, the talking heads used to say John Gruden was supposed to was looked at as the next genius out of the three. Well, it looks like Andy Reid has surpassed everybody <laughs> on looking at the game futuristically. And mm-hmm. I think right now Gruden is kind of stuck in still trying to do the heavy packages, spread the game out. Yeah. You know, we, we're the only few teams that still throw to a fullback. Yeah. <laughs> the, the why why the white banana Z. Sometimes you gotta leave it alone. Let's yeah. you gotta evolve with the pers- personnel that you have on the team. And I think Gruden needs to do that. Instead of trying to fit his personnel to his scheme, he needs to fit his scheme into the personnel that he has. It's a great point. You know, one of the things that I've seen, whether it's Kyle Shanahan, John Gruden, when you're taking over a team, you want to put your imprint on that team. And by doing that, you want your personnel. I question out loud, like, I wonder how much 
Antonio Brown set this team back because that was a great acquisition for them. You're talking about one of the top players in the last 15 years of the NFL. Forget top wideouts, top NFL players. This guy was on a trajectory to be one of the all-time greats. You get him, you, you give him an extension, you give him a ton of money, and he doesn't even play a game for you. I mean, that totally sabotaged that season. Nobody, nobody in their right minds can say, Amari Cooper's a better football player than Antonio Brown. He upgraded there. He moved off of Amari, got another first-round pick, and was going to bring in Antonio Brown. I thought it was going to be a great move. And that's where I think it would have taken so much pressure off the rest of the offense and Derek Carr specifically. I like Hunter Renfro. I like Tyrell Williams when he's healthy. He seems to be always hurt. But, like, that's not enough. That's not enough. Look at what Andy Reid has done for the young man Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey, one of the best players in football. They've got three sick receivers, okay? Three of them. Sammy Watkins, Tyree Kill's always open, it seems like. And then they draft the kid Miko Hardeman. Then they bring in a litany of running backs on top of a really solid offensive line. It takes time. Henry Ruggs has shown some flashes, but he's still a rookie. It's hard to make that imprint. I'd be very interested to see how he develops. That's kind of my barometer. Josh Jacobs, one of the best running backs in football. I don't care. It's not about age. He's that good. He is a dog. I love watching him play. And Waller's a beast. The Coleccio Semele just moving off of him, that still is a head-scratcher to me. I thought he was a good ball player. Who knows there? Um, and then and then my guy, Trent Brown, who you guys paid big money in free agency, he's been hurt a lot. Like, he's got to suit up. That's the tackle. You pay premier money. The word I would use with Derek Carr it's not just the personal, it's the reluctancy, the reluctancy to throw downfield, the just a split second overthinking whether I should check down or go deep. And that is the worst thing you can do. You got to go out there and you got to react and you got to just play football, whether it's Mahomes, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, you don't see them processing in the middle of a play. They just play. And that's the thing, whether it's Jimmy, whether it's Derek Carr, both those guys seem to be processing almost like when my phone starts to have that little rainbow circle and it's thinking and it's buffering just a, just a little but here's the thing he's got great feet he's got a great arm we know he's super smart he's just got to put it all together yeah I 100 percent agree with you with that I think a lot of people with Derek Carr you're either a Derek Carr stan or you hate Derek Carr it's one or the other and I was kind of on the middle in the middle ground coming into the season until I kind of looked at the different optics, the different metrics, noticing that this would be the first year that Derek Carr would be in a system for three years. I believe this is the first time John Gruden has had a quarterback for three seasons, too. If wow. you look at the first tenure of the Raiders, the yeah. uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the second tenure of the Raiders, he has never had a quarterback for three seasons, the same one. So the narrative of uh, he hates Derek Carr, he wants to get rid of him, let's stop it with that. Yeah, because I agree. He moved off of Khalil Mack, which was at the time the best player on the team, and he called a lot of criticism for that. A lot of people hated him for that, even me at the time, because it looked like he started the season rebuilding when we had a team that looked like had some nucleus type of pieces to mm. be pretty good. We still had Marshawn Lynch, which he was okay that year, but he was coming into his second year with John Gruden. Then you had Amari Cooper, you had Khalil Mack. So there were some pieces there. Mm -hmm. He got rid of all of them. So there was a lot of criticism with that right off the bat. But you have to look at it. I mean, he had to be a part of the Mike Mayock GM thing, even though Mike Mayock is considered his boss. He had to play a part in him coming to the team. When you look at what's going on with the team, as far as the first couple of drafts was Mike Mayock, the first draft of 2019, we've gotten five starters, I want to say, from that particular draft, an awesome draft. 2020, we have three starters from this year's draft, 
playing on the team, even though some of them have been hurt. So with the transactions that have happened, and the main one that I want to kind of go with with you and, and kind of get into in-depth with you is the Khalil Mack trade. Yeah. Because there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of debate on who won the trade. Did the Chicago Bears or did the Raiders win the trade? And when you look at the trade, they got, what, two first-round draft picks, a third-round draft pick, and another draft pick. I think um, the draft pick they received for Khalil Mack with Josh Jacobs, as we know, uh, over 1,100 beast. yards. A beast a bull in a fine china shop. I mean, quickness of Emmett Smith uh, will knock you over like Christian Okoye. Um, just a phenomenal pick that we've gotten mm-hmm. from Khalil Mack. We've gotten Damon Arnett from uh, the Khalil Mack trade, which he's been a, a really good press corner, but injured right now. Um, so he hasn't been able to kind of prove and show what's going on. We've gotten Brian Edwards in the third draft. I mean, third round, which was from South Carolina, a beast, a man among boys, but also having injury problems and now injured too. So when you look at the whole spectrum of everything, um, do you think John Gruden has put the team in the best case scenario to kind of keep winning and who won that Khalil Mack trade right now? Man. So I used to work with Chris Townsend. Chris Townsend was a sideline reporter for the, for the Oakland Raiders for quite some time. And Townie. again, I'm just telling you, I love Townie. I, we would have these philosophical, philosophical conversations at night, right? On the air, off the air, etc. I'm of the belief that John Gruden had that move taken off the table by Mark Davis. I don't think Mark Davis had a $75 million check ready to cash and put in escrow for Khalil Mack. So if that's the case, and you know that, and you're the head coach, you're not alienating that player. And every single day you hold on to that player, you're getting depreciated value in return. Meaning everyone in the league knows that you have to get rid of them and you only have the franchise tag in your back pocket. You have to move that guy. Given all of that, if that's really what went down, I think it's a great trade. I really do. Very few times do we want to admit both teams get what they needed. The Bears needed Khalil Mack. The Raiders needed to reset. You know, and like, yes, you said Josh Jacobs. That's a great pick. But it also allowed them to take Abrams, Jonathan Abrams, later on in that draft. Because, like, it's not just your one pick. It's what do you do with that other pick as well that now you have a little litany of. You have a little more surplus of. And so – I look at those moves, and then I look at Max Crosby. Like, Max Crosby off of his salary is giving you great production right now. Absolutely great production. He might be one of the steals of the draft. Line. Like, honestly, if we're taking this, a steal of the draft that no one wants to talk about. Khalil Mack's a great player. You are a bottom defense with Khalil Mack on the field. Are you better spreading that money out, getting Littleton, getting some of these guys on defense, drafting all of these young players, and kind of resetting the defense, or just paying Khalil Mack? I actually think in this rare case, it was a win-win for both teams, which no one ever wants to admit. Like, Khalil's been great for the Bears. They went to the playoffs. They did everything that they need. And I think the Raiders, in a weird way, have offset his loss. Like, I don't think one team won or the other team lost. I do think John Gruden and Mayock, they know exactly what they're looking for. They're very particular in the draft. And I like that. Like, they are looking for certain characters, certain types of individuals that fit their particular scheme. That's how you build what Andy Reid has. It took four or five years to get to where they're at right now. And yeah. look, I know it's looked ugly early on, but they were in, like, they literally took over a horrible situation. I mean, it was a bad, bad situation. Del Rio was bad. And their, their fit, what Del Rio wanted to do, is not what Paul Gunther and John Gruden wanted to do. It's just totally different. Yeah. Yeah, well, Joe, you, t- you talked a little bit about imprint on the team. And with John, when John first came in, you know, you do make that imprint on the team. And 
You talked a lot about the Bears versus the Raiders in terms of who won that draft. You know, the sexiness of it and the recency bias of it tells you that the Bears have won. You know, you kind of see Cleo Mack out there. He's, he's manhandling Tristan Wirfs. But something like this takes a little bit of time to unfold, right? And, mm-hmm. and given a situation, you know, you mentioned the defensive numbers. If you weren't winning the Super Bowl now, you kind of had to convert those pieces to really build for the future. And I think that's what John and Mike Mayock are doing right here because, you know, getting guys like Max Crosby, getting guys like, Brand- I said Brannigan, Josh Jacobs, you kind of have to build for the future. I want to bring up something else that you brought up, which I thought was just staggering. You had brought up, you know, Mahomes being that comparison line to Derek and how that could be a detriment of like, you know, I'm always – going to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. I think Jimmy's going to kind of fall in that same category. I thought that was a great point, man. And how these guys are always going to be in the shadows of the best quarterback in your division. That's going to be a hard road. And no matter what you have in these guys, I think there are going to be a lot of fans that are going to be looking at that. Like we want that, we want that trophy quarterback. And I do kind of want to switch pace a little bit here because you also brought up Bosa a little bit earlier. Man, seeing Buckner out there against the Bears and seeing how he was just all over the field, flying all over the place, just ram battering guys, he was literally all over the field. So one thing that kind of has me wondering is, I'm going to ask you a Niner question. I know we're on the Raiders side of things, but I want to get your opinion right, well, on We'll this. allow it, Tony. We'll allow it this time. It's because, it's because Shasky brought it up early, and I definitely yeah. want to <laughs> get into it. Did we make the right de- Did the Niners make the right decision in letting Buckner go? So this one's a loaded question. Yeah, this is a loaded question. Like, honestly, if you're asking me, do I feel comfortable playing a defensive tackle who doesn't get a lot of sacks is not Aaron Donald. This thing that he's – Aaron Donald is a unicorn. There's only one of them. There are no other Aaron Donalds. The guy is built like a rhino. Like, I love Buckner. Like, there's a huge drop-off between – Aaron Donald and Buckner. I'm not paying you Aaron Donald money. Like there's this, there's this thing on the social media, break this guy off the bag, pay this guy, pay that guy. Not in the NFL. I'll pay nobody until I have to. I like, wait, anything could happen. Like, look, hey, let's talk about Saquon Barkley, for example, right? Saquon, the way people talk about Saquon, he's ridiculous. He's one of the best players in the league. I love Saquon. He's always hurt. I'm not paying someone who's always hurt. The game is violent and physical, right? So I look at someone like DeForest Buckner and I say, am I paying you as an inside defensive tackle who's not going to get sack numbers, you're not going to touch the football, and you're not really going to – like, honestly, the drop-off between DeForest Buckner and, let's say, your average D tackle – is it, is it huge? Is it that big? I would say my money spent elsewhere, like the drop-off between Patrick Mahomes and Jimmy Garoppolo, is significantly wider. And that's where I want to spend a lot of my money is to try to upgrade the most important positions. I look at this, the, the skill positions that the, that the 49ers have right now. They had to pay George Kittle. The drop-off between George Kittle and the next couple of tight ends yeah. is huge. So to me, it's like a variance equation where I'm trying to balance yeah. out as good as DeForest is, can I find a replacement? that don't cost me $21 million a year. Like, I just don't like paying $21 million for a D tackle. Yeah. I don't know. It's just – and I love DeForest, man. I really yeah. do. I just don't want to pay that guy. If he was an outside guy and he was Vaughn Miller, I'd be like, all day. I'm paying you all day because Vaughn Miller, you know, he just – he walks into 12 sacks. You know what I mean? Like DeForest just don't do that. I'm not saying he's not a great player. It's just the game has shifted so much. It's about quarterbacks, skill position players, and people who could stop those quarterbacks. I think it's probably because of what we had to pay Eric. 
Armstead? Armstead. And there's that, no that question. Contract. Yeah, and that's the contract that hurts. So here, here's where I like, again, we're going back to the balancing thing, right? You let DeForest Buckner go, but it enables you for that same amount of salary to keep Eric Armstead and Jimmy Ward, right? They need yes. Jimmy Ward. There are not a lot of good uh, safeties in the league right now. So I didn't love it. Look, I'm being real with you. I didn't love yeah. paying Eric Armstead, but you got to kind of go like, what's the lesser of two evils, right? Like they needed to keep somebody on this line. And, and look, there's no guarantee that you offer him $21 million and he takes it right away. Who knows? You, you just exactly. don't know if a guy doesn't want to be here anymore, but I just, I never like paying a, an inside guy. We'll see what the Colts do over the next couple of yeah. years. 21 million for a D tackle. Yeah. It just hurts to see them as a the number one defense. I, I know. We but they're in a crap division. Like they're in a crap it. division. That's the other yeah. They're diluted by how crappy that division is. I mean, look at the Texans are nobodies. The Jaguars are nobodies. I mean, that, that division stinks. Yeah. He's, he was the best thing since Justin Smith. He was. He was. Conversation. Tony, I see what you did. You tried to sneak in a 49er question. We're going to get to y'all the next segment. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to switch gears a little bit and talk, it, and talk about uh, the coaching matchup between John Gruden and Kyle Shanahan. So, Butcher, give us your take on what separates the two. Who has the slight <laughs> edge? And who would you choose to lead a team to victory in a Super Bowl? Wow. Am I, am I on the road to a Super Bowl or am I already in the Super Bowl no. game? <laughs> well, let me, let me, let me tell – yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how it goes. Okay. Your co the team is at the Super Bowl. You don't know what team it is. Okay. You don't know what personnel it is. You don't yeah. know what players you have. Okay. And you're choosing between Gruden and KS to, to, to coach the Super Bowl. It's one game. Any team, you don't know what team it is, and you're choosing one coach to lead that team to get the W in the Super Bowl. I mean, I think you have to go with Gruden at this point. He's won the Super Bowl, and I don't think he's as particular oh, on personnel as <laughs> Kyle is. Kyle, look, I love Kyle. I do. I love Kyle. He is – you think my wife is picky? I mean, my God, Kyle Shanahan is so picky on who he has out there. He's got certain obsessions. Like, he thought Nick Mullins was great. He thinks C.J. Beathard is great. He thinks Dante Pettis is great. Like, I, I don't trust some of his – again, great play caller. Love everything about him. He's relatively young, you know, and when he's had opportunities to get to the Super Bowl, he, again, getting there is an accomplishment. But he's, he's choked him away. I love the guy. They choked that thing away. There's no other way around it. Gruden, whether he faced Callahan, whether it was his team or Tony Dungy's, it don't matter. He's got the Super Bowl. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. But, again, you're looking at Gruden. What's Gruden, 55, 60 years old? Shanahan's 40. Talk to me in about seven or eight years, and we'll see where these two guys are at. But right now, I'm going to lean Gruden. Oh, man, do I love that. Is that, you know, and <laughs> we've had uh, conversations about this. We've done actually an episode on a debate on who was the better coach or who would lead their team, Kyle Shanahan and John Gruden. I'm pretty sure you can kind of guess who went where. <laughs> um, but There's no you know, wrong answer. No. There isn't. There isn't. But I will say, and we, and we did discuss this, that um, – Kyle Shanahan got his break from one John Gruden 2004 as the quality control uh, coach on Gruden's team. Uh, Sean McVay was also on that team. So he runs, they run similar styles. I mean, their, their style is both a hybrid um, West coast offense style. So it's just Kyle a lot of times will 
sometimes get a little too cute in what he does as opposed to where John Gruden does. And when something works, he's going to keep at it. He's mm-hmm. going to – when he has you down, he's going to step on your neck. But he has a lot of criticism on that the play calling can be predictable a lot of time. I mean, Cy was talking about his spy or spider too wide banana. I see that play at least twice every single game. But the thing about it is it works almost Mm -hmm. every single time. He's going to do it right there on the goal line. He's going to get that fullback. That fullback's going to get that touchdown. He's going to do it on third and two. He's going to do it on fourth and one. I mean, it comes out all the time with John Gruden. Now, I wanted to kind of get with John Gruden and the whole team, really, the game coming up on Sunday. We're 13-point underdogs. This is not a happy day for me. I – as a fan, I know you know this. Mm-hmm. Going in knowing that you're going, feeling like you're going to lose the game, it's not a happy day on Sunday. I'm going to get the Buffalo Wild Wings. I'll get whatever I need, my condiments. But I'm going to sit there and think that the Raiders will lose. Um, we have things as far as injuries, just like the 49ers. I mean, we are being riddled with injuries. Our defense sucks. It's horrible. It's been horrible for the last three years. I believe Paul Gunther is gone, even if – I think the Kansas so too. City Chiefs, yeah, if the Kansas City Chiefs store 40 on us, which could be very much possible in this game, Paul Gunther may be gone after, after this week. But what do the Raiders need to do? What can the Raiders do? I've never seen a game where a person or a team was 13-point underdogs and actually won the game. What do the Raiders need to do this week to come out successful with a victory? Yeah, I think I go right back to what New England was doing last week. Run the ball, shorten the game, make each possession as long as possible. Josh Jacobs, to me, if you don't get 30 touches in this game, it's criminal act. It's negligence. You got to run the rock against these guys. You have to run the ball against Mahomes strictly to give your defense time to catch its breath and secondarily to just keep the damn ball out of Mahomes' hands. He's that good. The other part, and this is going to sound so basic, You got to make this guy go three and out. It's almost impossible, right? It really is. But the three and outs, because they kill that other defense. And then stop Frank Clark. Again, Frank Clark is a monster. Chris Jones, monster. But Frank Clark, to me, is a dude who's just so nasty on that edge. Once he starts cooking, you're pretty much curtains. I mean, the guy is one of the more underrated players. Like Chandler Jones doesn't get a lot of love. Frank Clark don't get a lot of love. I saw him with Seattle for years. He's a beast. He's an absolute beast. But Both games last year, I thought until that second quarter barrage where Mahomes threw up like whatever, 35 points in the second quarter, they were with them. They were hanging with them. And then the second game was significantly closer than that. Division games are always closer. You build your team to go up against a divisional opponent. Uh, I don't think the Chiefs – I like the Chiefs roster, right? I really do. But if there's one criticism on offense, I think that they're very soft. I do. I think Kelsey pretends to be a tough guy. I I think their offensive line is whack. Like Schwartz, I, I don't think he's that great. People talk about him I'm like he ain't he ain't an elite player he's a good player but he's not some elite tackle all time it just kind of drives me nuts the way they talk about that offensive line I think Max Crosby could have a big game in this one but causing three and outs getting right up into Mahomes' face and you know this sounds so cliche a turnover would just be monster. I mean, a turnover is absolutely monster against this offense and get, get Mahomes reeling, but more than anything, play keep away. I, I do think you'll be able to run the ball right down their throat. The soft spot, in my opinion, on the Chiefs defense, linebackers. I think their yeah, linebackers yeah. are suspect at best. You can get Darren Waller coming across the middle on those play actions. I think he should have a big-time game, but Josh Jacobs is who I'm running this offense through. Nice. Last year when we played them twice, we got up on them at home. 10-0, quick, 
by running the ball down their throat. We were, they could not stop the run because of the linebackers, right? And mm-hmm. the same thing with Waller. Waller should spread these linebackers up and have a lot of one-on-one matchups. Now, Gruden and the Cal Shanahan thing, the thing I like about why I would go with Gruden is that Shanahan, again, like you said, he's really picky on – and I think he's delusional on the quarterback position. Totally the quarterback position. And why I say that is because remember his, his love affair with Kirk Cousins. The guy thinks Kirk Cousins was the next Joe Montana. And there's something about what, how he looks at the quarterback position that I think is off. Now, when it comes to running the ball and running back, he's like his daddy. They get him in and get him out. You can give Cal Shannon, you can give him a running back off the streets and he will get a thousand yards in his system just like his dad used to do. That Agreed. zone rock, that zone blocking scheme mm-hmm. mixed with the West Coast terminology and West Coast pattern that he, that he evolved and put together, he's spot on. And I think what happens with him when it comes to crunch time and, and you're putting your chips on the table, I think he outsmarts himself. That's what mm-hmm. happened in both of the Super Bowls. I think that when it got when push came to shove, he did not do what he is supposed to do, which was run the ball. Yeah. Both times, you are your offense is known to run the ball. You run the ball. He outsmarted himself because again, when when you're so when you're considered a genius, you do that a lot of times. Where just do the obvious. They couldn't stop it. They yeah. could not stop the run in both of the Super Bowls. He would have been a Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator, a Super Bowl winning coach last year. I'm with you. I put that loss strictly on him. I'm yeah. not going to bail out the defense and say it was the defense. No, the bro, they held Mahomes. The defense on the yeah. field. Yeah. Yes, they. You put the defense on the field more times than you had to by not running the ball by having three and outs, three and outs in that fourth quarter. Yeah, so I sit in the end zone at Levi Stadium, and I got like that all 22 view. I, it, it annoys me so much how everybody thinks they're like a film guru on the internet now, where you'll see all these like all 22 breakdowns on the film and everything. Like I just roll my eyes. Cause, but I'm at the games, and I'm sitting in the end zone. And I said this about week seven, week eight. I turned to Nash, who's one of my producers. Who will, yeah. He'll come to the games with me, and he'll sit with me. I go, Nash. Raheem Mostert's the best running back on this team. What is Kyle trying to prove? Like, the Tevin Coleman obsession, the Matt Breida obsession, they're nice players. Raheem Mostert deserves the rock. Like, he should be getting touches all day, every day. Case in point, we go to that Super Bowl. He didn't touch the ball until midway through the second quarter. I, I That's... There's no defense for that. You, yeah. Kyle, you got to give the ball to your best players. If I'm going to lose, I'm going down, throwing and running with my best players on the final drive of the Super Bowl uh, before they ended up going uh, three and out at the very, very end. But the, the, the most crucial one, right around two minutes, four plays, season on the line, and George Kittle doesn't have one play dialed up for him? I don't care how bad the offensive line looks. You think Tom Brady ain't throwing to Gronk with the game on the line in New England? Are you kidding me? Like, they were in Kansas City the year prior. Tony Romo said it on the telecast. Ball's going to Gronk. Ball's going to Gronk. The whole stadium knew. He threw three consecutive third and fourth downs to to Rob Gronkowski. If I'm going down, I'm swinging with my big dogs. That's the way I've always felt. Now, on the quarterback thing, me and Bonte, we have uh, – It's my wife thinks that we're crazy because we're constantly on the phone doing private yeah. shows and talking to each other because it's, it's, it's this obsession I have. I believe, and I told him in the middle of last year, I yeah. believe that Kyle has certain – 
things that he believes in his heart about the quarterback position. They would like, I have, you know, beliefs in my life. I call them the pillars of my life. You know what I mean? Like hard work, humility, grinding, be good to people, right? Well, Kyle has things that he thinks about the quarterback position. Got to be a pocket quarterback. You got to do what I say to do. Hit that guy. When you hit your third foot, your ball's got to come out. You got to hit him right then and there. If that's not open, you have to go to this guy. Very specific things. Do not deviate. Don't call an audible at the line. How dare you scramble out of the pocket? The play was there. I'm sorry. That's just not what the NFL is anymore. I look at the draft every year. It's three and four to one defensive linemen to offensive linemen. So that tells me defenses are the best they've ever been as far as speed goes. You're not going to run 99% approval rate on all set plays. There's going to be a play where the quarterback's going to have to break something and make a play where there is none. And that's what makes Mahomes so special. That's what makes Deshaun Watson special. Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, all of these guys. Russell Wilson's the best at it. Like the broken play outside of structure. I think Kyle hates it. He hates guys playing outside of structure and it drives me nuts and I think it goes back to RG3 I really do and I think the league has changed so much since RG3 but the way it went down with RG3 and his dad and how they got so crushed over the handling of Robert Griffin III I think it scarred him and I think it's totally warped his brain on what the quarterback position is he thinks Kirk Cousins is the prototype quarterback like I'm sorry like the pocket quarterback is the dodo bird it's the power forward of the NBA like if you in a stretch four, you don't play in the NBA. Guess what? If you're Matt Ryan, I'm not drafting you anymore. I would have four years ago, but not anymore. If you can't make plays outside of structure, I just, you're off my board. And I, I, that's the way I view it. I think Kyle needs to evolve his thinking again, brilliant, smart guy. But I think the way he looks at the quarterback position to me is really flawed. And that first week against Kyler Murray, to me, was evidence right then and there. Your D played great. That dude made plays. That yeah. dude just made plays. There were no plays, and he was making plays. If you can't see that on the sideline, Kyle Shanahan, I don't know what to tell you. Mm. And you know what? And you know what I think is with this set of of the quarterbacks you just named. They're all African American, but you know one thing that you're talking about is the way they improvise. Exactly. The way they improvise is the difference between this generation of black quarterbacks and the past. I that totally is agree. The, that, that is the gap between both. Uh, both is the way that Mahomes, Watson, Murray now, and of course the master at it, which is up in Seattle, the, the way he improvises yeah. is ridiculous. There's a – there's – that's where the future is going. It's not just about being a running quarterback. No, you can run. We've seen that. That's what Lamar, that's what Lamar Jackson has trouble when it comes to the playoffs yep. is that he cannot improvise. Yep. One thing about Kaepernick, remember, he ran the hell out of the ball. I love But Cap. he did not improvise. I know. Yeah. That, that improv being a, improvising as a quarterback, you will give defenses fits. Yeah, you know, one last thing before we wrap it up here, and, and I'm just going to – as the play goes on, I sit in the stands. When Russ gets a snap, I'm like, get him, get him, get him. The longer the play goes, the less likely you are to stop him, okay? Yeah. Same thing with Mahomes. Now for Jimmy Garoppolo, and I like Jimmy. The longer the play goes, the worse the results. If he gets rid of the ball on time and in schedule, it's going to be a good play. The longer he's got to hold on to it, it's a depreciating return. And so that's the difference between the two players. You can win with both. But, man, I'd rather have that dude who just can improvise. That's me. I always like the running guys. I'll leave mm. you with this. If so we're going to go with okay. Kirk Cousins, 
<laughs> How does that get you closer to the top? Echelon? I don't. I, I, I don't get it. I'll leave it with that. So let's I don't get it, Jimmy. My favorite quarterback, Steve Young, of all time, okay? Steve is my favorite. Toughness, moving around, mobility, arm, everything. Joe was the better quarterback. I just loved watching Steve play. Yep. All right, so I'm going to intercept the conversation Sorry. now. But, your boy, clearly you have to join us for another uh, podcast. <laughs> Most definitely. Most definitely. Because we can't get enough of your takes and your energy on the show. Uh, so I'm going to take us into a quick break. But when we come back, it'll be all about the San Francisco 49ers this time, Tony, on today's podcast with Butcher Boy and the crew. So stay tuned. Right from the Frisco City West Coast. Right back, side to side. Like you want to pick up and stand it. You go front, back, side to side. Like you want to pick up and stand it. You go front, back, side to side. Like you want to pick up and stand it. Well, here's a little dose from the half of the group you like the most. Straight from the Frisco City West Coast, who's something up my sleeve. It's just my pet people about these busters who be tripping about these busters who be tripping about these busters. Oh my God, they didn't feel. Each one of them some victims with some jaws that got swill. With the hard kick from the Nike shoes. Cause mama always said, boy, put the feet to use. And don't get mad cause we gon' flip flop. Cause RBL is just like a train with no brakes. 